Welcome to the Midnight Myth Time Machine. We're publishing our back catalog week by week to make it available on your favorite podcast listening platforms. What you're about to hear is episode five, The Joke, which originally aired in 2017. Derek and I take on Batman's greatest arch nemesis, The Joker, through the lens of the Alan Moore comic, The Killing Joke. So hop in the time machine with us and enjoy episode five, The Joke. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell this story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. episode. This is the fifth episode of The Midnight Myth. And I am calling it, I'm titling it right now, The Joke. All right. So um, I just want to do a quick few disclaimers before we get into this week's episode. So disclaimer number one, we are going to be talking about The Joker. This is our Joker episode. And in particular, we're going to hit on one story that focuses mostly about The Joker called The Killing Joke. So, yeah. so here's the, the sort of disclaimers. One, we are going to be discussing sexualized violence in art, literature, and media. So if that's not a topic you're comfortable with, it's not a topic you're okay with, it's going to get graphic and real. So maybe, you know, skip this week and go to next week. Yeah. And don't let the kids listen to this one, maybe. Definitely not a kid-friendly episode. And then uh, the other disclaimer is, if you've never read The Killing Joke, we are going to spoil that book. Uh, that being said, if you are interested in reading The Killing Joke, you can pause. You can go to comicsology.com and get it for like 10 bucks. Yeah, really quick read. I read it for the first time this week in preparation for the episode, and I read it in probably 25, 30 minutes. Right. And the other thing, I'm going to give a summary, so don't feel like you have to know The Killing Joke to be in this episode, but uh, it's not going to hurt at all. So I think to kick it off, I'm just going to do a really quick summary of The Killing Joke. It was published, I want to say, in 1985. Don't hold me to it. Around the same time as The Watchmen. Right. Written by the same person who did The Watchmen, Alan Moore. Right? You're giving me a weird look like he did The Watchmen. Yeah. It's by the same guy. Yeah. Um, I am nerds on the internet, uh, comic geeks. If I am wrong, please tweet at me so I can correct it. But so anyway, it's a Batman story. It's called Batman, the killing joke. And this is around about the time where Batman is kind of being rebranded as a darker, more broody, more gritty kind of superhero after Frank Miller wrote a book called The Dark Knight Returns. Right. And just for historical context, this is height of the Cold War, right? So sure. You know, massive tensions ramping up uh, on all sides of the globe. People are feeling a certain kind of way and comics and pop culture are really uh really taking that on and really internalizing that right and some would say that we are starting to see the graphic novel emerge as a more serious artistic um form or medium rather i should say rather not that there isn't anything serious or artistic about the comic superhero narrative 
but it's taking some darker turns. Right. So let me just hit you real quick with what The Killing Joke's about. It starts with Batman going to Arkham Asylum, which is the insane asylum slash penitentiary where all of the crazy people Batman beats up end up ultimately mm-hmm. serving their prison sentences mm-hmm. and their sort of psychiatric stays. Batman goes to talk to the Joker and he sits down with the Joker and he has this frank conversation saying, you know, our sort of, uh, you know, fight, our feud will ultimately and eventually lead in one of us killing the other or both of us dead. And he wants to make an honest attempt to say, hey, I'm here. I want to talk this through before we are locked in this this final, you know, dance and play and scenario where we are tragically going to end up mutilating and killing each other. One last chance. Is there any way we can prevent and avoid this? After, you know, first encountering the killing joke this week, uh, I was really kind of blown away by that opening statement by Batman, uh, because that's a theme we see reiterated uh, throughout time, throughout many cultures, is that kind of Uh, fate, that destiny, especially when it comes to a hero and a villain, uh, that there will be that final standoff. You know, I talk about Harry Potter and Voldemort in that kind of way, but you also talk about Macbeth and Macduff in that way. And it's a really, uh, it's a pervasive theme uh, in in a lot of storytelling. So those two diametrically opposed foes, bros, um, coming together with that fated destiny and this one character, this hero Batman saying, we're going to try and avert that destiny. I have to try because I have to do what's right. Sure. Here's one olive branch before I know eventually one of us is going to be dead, if not both. And who knows how many civilians, non-combatants, people will get caught in the in the cross path. Well, Curveball finds out the Joker that's in Arkham Asylum is just a guy dressed up as the Joker. The Joker has escaped. Yep. So Batman's pretty upset about this. Next, we see the Joker at a dilapidated, falling down carnival talking to the carnival owner and he summarily murders the carnival owner so that he can use this carnival to stage whatever the next part of his evil plot is. Ugh. Um, and by the way, I'm doing no justice to the writing because the writing is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The writing and the panels are beautiful. It's like, uh, it's, oh, the it's artwork very is film noir. phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's one of the best pieces of artwork that I've ever seen. Yeah. So next we go to, Commissioner Gordon, who is the commissioner of the police in Gotham City, where Batman lives, with his daughter, Barbara Gordon, who you may or may not know is also Batgirl. And yeah, she's Alicia Alicia Stolberstone. No, 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 that's wrong. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry that that never happened. She's not Cher from Clueless. No, no. She's oh. not. She's not Cher from Clueless. Okay, uh, I totally yeah. thought Clueless was a Batman spinoff. No, no. It, it's actually you are referencing the worst Batman movie. <laughs> known to me. But anyway, we digress. We, we we digress. So this is where, um, you know, Barbara Gordon is making cocoa for her father, mm-hmm. who's a little stressed because the Joker has now been uh, escaped from Arkham Asylum. And there's a knock on the door and Barbara Gordon's like, oh, it's my friend. Let me go get the door. Turns out the Joker's there with two of his goons. The Joker shoots her in like the lower abdomen, abdomen yeah. area. Um, and they start beating up on um, Commissioner Gordon, and they take him away. Next, the Joker starts to undress, and they don't show it, but heavily implied molested would probably be the right word, potentially raped. And this is a crucial part of the story where um, Barbara Gordon then asks, why are you doing this? And Joker says, to prove a point, among other things. Yeah. And we're going to break that down. We're going to break. We're going to go back and break these things down. This is just to get the plot out of the way. Yeah, we're going to unpack this. So next, Barbara Gordon's in the hospital. She is paralyzed for life. Uh, Batman goes to visit her. Batman is hitting the streets. He wants to find the Joker. He's going to all of the sort of usual suspects, trying to pump for information, look for clues. Then the bat signal, signal, signal. Wow, sorry. The bat signal. Uh, lights up and uh, turns out he goes to the, see the bat signal. He has a ticket to the carnival by the Joker. Mm-hmm. Then we go to see what the Joker's been up to. He has Commissioner Gordon in a cage being beaten, stripped down naked and put on a carnival ride. 
And around Joker, he has this cast of, for lack of a politically correct term, I'll just call them freaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just people that are demented and weird and they look odd. Yeah, he's got like a bunch of a bunch of man babies and uh like a guy completely covered in hair like a cousin it. Right. That kind of stuff. Now, meanwhile this happens, we start splicing into the past. The past which is artistically drawn that's black and white except for oddly food which has a brown red color in it at all times. And we see a guy coming home, talking to his wife, upset because he's a comedian, but he can't book a gig. The wife is pregnant um, and they are destitute and poor. While And this is happening kind of cut and paste while we see the events. Um, eventually, this this man who can't you know be a comedian and pay for his his wife and provide for his child decides that he is going to use inside information from a factory he used to work at to help some mob bosses rip it off and and rob um, the, the this old factory he used to work at. The playing card company next door, right? Yes, he used to work at the playing card company. It's next door to a chemical plant. And they ask this man, the, the two gangsters ask this man, and just presumably this is the Joker's past. Yeah. They don't really say that at this point, but that's what you can presume. So they ask the character who will become the Joker to wear this red hood mask who is this famous sort of uh, bad guy that's been robbing things. He agrees to do it the day or hours before the, the caper is supposed to go down. Right. There's a tragic accident where the soon-to-be Joker, we never get his name, uh, his wife dies in their home with the unborn baby. <sighs> yeah, it's pretty messed up. Messed up. Like I said, this is dark stuff. Um, and... Then the the Joker in the past decides, hey, there's no point for me doing this crime. I was only going to do it. And the mob guys are like, listen, buddy, you're past the point of no return. You're doing this whether you like it or not. Needless to say, their robbery does not go well. The police show up. They start shooting. um, And then Batman shows up. The two goons get gunned down by the cops. And Batman thinks the Red Hood is this master criminal and is trying to to, to capture and get this mass criminal, he accidentally falls into a vat of chemicals, rinses out, takes off the hood, and boom, he's the Joker. Yeah, he's got green hair and white skin and everything. And blood everywhere, and it's just this like horrific, terrible scene. So now we flash back to the present day, and now in the present day, Commissioner Gordon is put on a carnival ride where the Joker gives what I, what I could call a soliloquy, possibly a poem, and he is showing Commissioner Gordon photos of Barbara Gordon's molested, mutilated, bleeding out, paralyzed body. And he is attempting to persuade Commissioner Gordon to go mad. That's the idea. Yeah. So long story short, Batman shows up, uh, beats up all of the comic book freaks that are attacking him, frees Commissioner Gordon. There's a showdown between him and the Joker. And the Joker's main kind of point that he's trying to do is, hey, anyone and everyone is one bad day away from going mad. Well, Batman's just like, hey, I just talked to Commissioner Commissioner Gordon. He's not mad. And uh, it ends with the Batman and the Joker sitting there in the rain, Batman having defeated the Joker and Batman making his plea. Hey, I just need to know I am like you. Let's make one last push to right this wrong. I can help you. I can help rehabilitate you. And the Joker says no, tells a joke. They both start laughing at the joke. And then the comic book kind of fades where only one of them is left laughing. And we see Batman very aggressively put his hands on the Joker, leaving it open. How did Batman silence the Joker? Did he kill him? Did he just shut him up? And where's this going? So there in a nutshell, I did as much service as quickly as I could to get through the plot and story um, of The Killing Joke. Ooh. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. Good job. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Uh, do you want to give me a minute to catch my breath and maybe you can jump into some of your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, our first episode, Villainy, 
if you remember, if you listened to that episode, you remember we had two rules, and that was we couldn't talk about Darth Vader, who we're not going to talk about again tonight, uh, and we could not talk about the Joker. And that was because those villains we thought we wanted to spend a lot more time on and really give more uh, more analysis to. Uh, the Joker is is a villain who has always perplexed anyone who comes up against him and has always perplexed audiences and actors and anyone who takes that on as an artist. And I think that's a really interesting interesting thing that he's become kind of a modern day like Hamlet. Like you can, as an actor, you can go on stage or you can go on screen and, and play him in in such various kinds of ways and still be true to that character because he is such a uh, an amorphous and uh, an amoral uh, kind if, of thing. Yeah, if I may add, different comic book writers have written him a little differently, whether that's Batman in the comics, which I, I'm not going to pretend like I've read them all, but Batman the Animated Series. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that the Joker has been kind of proving your point that as long as the, he is this agent of chaos... right. Then, then as long as you get that part, you can do a lot of different things within the Joker. Right. And at the heart of that, I really do think, and you heard us a couple of weeks ago talk about how a, a detective can bring order to chaos and how that really, in, in a lot of stories, is the primary, uh, primary conflict is between order and chaos. You know, I was watching or I was uh, reading The Killing Joke and then we watched the, the animated uh, version that came out earlier this year, last year. Uh, yeah, I think it was last 2016, maybe 2015. Yeah. So, um, I was taking a lot of this in and thinking, yeah, the primary push and pull is between order and chaos. And I thought to Batman and to a lot of heroes and a lot of stories, the most palpable affront to your way of life, to your philosophy of why you do things is a philosophy of it doesn't matter. You know, it's all a joke. Uh, there's, there's nothing that Batman can say to the Joker to get him to understand this is right and this is wrong because to the Joker, there is no right and there is no wrong. Yeah. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, uh, the, the idea, and I think not only is that, you know, can be an affront and an assault on someone's individual philosophy or outlook, it also is something we all have felt at some point or have at least wondered, hey, what, what do I matter? Does anything matter? Does right and wrong matter? Is morality even relevant? Right. These are, these are, are questions that I think anyone going through a intellectual, spiritual, um, philosophical, uh, educational journey through life will have to contend with. And the Joker is the embodiment of taking nihilism to the extreme that the only thing you can do is laugh and go mad. Yeah. That's your only recourse next to it because it's so cosmically insignificant. And in his backstory, here's a guy that was not motivated for crime for nefarious and evil reasons, but for desperate and hopeless reasons, not excusing going to crime. And his decision to do that was part of the cosmic, you know, you know, swing of events that just led to, well, I'm doing this crime for no reason. I don't even need the money anymore. It's botched so terribly, and I just got horribly disfigured. Yeah, and I, I think it's incredibly intentional and important that his uh, in this backstory that we get that his wife dies of a freak accident. It's with like a, a water heater that she's testing for the baby. And yeah, it just, an appliance a, goes wrong. Yeah, and the police call it a one-in-a-million type freak accident. Right, which uh, happened. yeah. And the point that the Joker tries to prove in this is that any one of us is on the brink at any moment. It just takes one bad day. It takes one bad turn of events. And so you could drive anybody mad. Uh, and then what, what Batman has to prove is that, no, that's not true, you know? Yeah, and Joker's whole point is, you know, Batman, I don't get it. And he says this in the comic book. You're just as crazy as me. The only difference, I understand that. Why don't you go mad, Batman? Like he wants to prove to Batman that he is that he and them are not these two opposite forces, but they are one of the same. Right. And he wants Batman to get down to his madness level. And what makes him so interesting as a villain to me in the killing joke and in, in the many ways that he's interpreted is that he doesn't hate Batman. 
Right. right, he needs him. Yeah. They need each other. And he actually really likes Batman and thinks like it, but is just frustrated. Like, Batman, you dress up like a bat and beat up criminals. Mm-hmm. How do you think that you live in a moral universe? You don't. You just destroyed it the second you put on that mask. Yeah. And, you know, in our, a previous episode, we talked about Sherlock Holmes and we talked about especially the uh, the BBC revival that's happening now uh, and their incarnation of Moriarty and how much of a a cue they take from Batman and the Joker, I think, you know, that the madness and the chaos, but the intertwined destiny, you know, we're the only two who really are on the same level intellectually. And so we have to be twisted in this dance, in this game. We need each other to survive. Yeah. That's a really awesome point. Um, So there are a few things about the killing joke that are controversial and I don't want to shy away from them before we go into them. One is not as serious. One is more serious. Uh, I just want to go on the record for the, all the internet. The Killing Joke is my favorite graphic novel slash comic book of all time. So when I talk about its problems, I kind of like when we talked about Sherlock, the third episode, and some of my my issues with it, I'm only critiquing it because I love it. And I think it, it right. when you love something, it should be critiqued. So one of the first critiques comes in the sort of, uh, I, I will go out of the sort of the, standard Joker mythology is that he doesn't have a backstory, right? That he is just a force that sort of is almost like spiritually called into the universe by virtue of Batman being there. And the killing joke puts a clear backstory to the Joker. Right. Gives him a, gives him a human face and gives him a human voice. Yeah. And that's the, to my knowledge, the first time that's ever done other, you know, mediums have tried to do this before, but this was the first and it was controversial at the time, and it's still debated whether does Joker need a backstory because it's really about him and Batman and what they do and how and how they are the duality. Um, I would argue that, one, in the, the killing joke, there's a line where the Joker says, the past is messy. I prefer multiple choice. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a moment where you realize you've had an unreliable narrator this entire time. Because uh, you don't know who really is telling you this story, but when you when you step back and think, okay, maybe the Joker is telling us this, you know, Tuesday version of what his backstory is, and he says, "I prefer it to be multiple choice." It could be any version of that. Sure, and so, he could be making it up entirely. Yeah, so we don't necessarily know that we're getting the backstory of the Joker. Maybe just a version of the backstory of the Joker. Right. So I think that's part of it. Um, one, two, that's Joker recognizing that, um, you know, my past made me who I am today. And I recognize that there's a link there, but I am so mad. That link is fuzzy at best. Yeah. I'm my, not that person anymore. Yeah. My backstory do- isn't really relevant to me anymore. You know, it, it's relevant in the fact that it happened, but it's like, I have completely deconstructed my past so that I can be this agent of chaos now. Right. And I think, in that way, I like that they put that the Joker, like if you think of the rules of the Batman universe, the Joker's a human being. He yeah. doesn't have superpowers. He right. doesn't come from outer space. He is a human being. So there had to be a point where he wasn't the Joker. So I think adding that to the killing joke, which to me is not a Batman story, but a Joker story. Exactly. I think to make it a Joker story, you had to do that. Yeah. So. I- I think that's not a controversy at all, in other words. I, I think that's great. I think it's a great point. I think that the inclusion of that multiple choice line is key. And that's why I, you know, I, I was able to look at that and be like, yeah, I'm down with the Joker having a backstory because I don't even know if that's true. I don't know. But it really did a lot for uh, for the narrative in terms of the one bad day thing. You know, it takes one yep. bad day to go mad. And so I'm going to give Commissioner Gordon one bad day and I needed to see that thread, but then having it turned on its end like that really thrilled me. Which is the brilliance of the writer. But let's get to some things that I think are I think are more substantive in terms yeah. of critiques. Because I think that's a fun debate. Does the Joker need a backstory? There are some debates about the killing joke that aren't as much fun. Right. In fact, um, are inherently more problematic. And that is... The, the, you know, the shooting, molesting, raping of Barbara Gordon 
And it's not necessarily just that it happens. It's, it's the, I think the fundamental lack of agency that Barbara Gordon has as a character in it, where her violence is a prop for everything else that goes on and that she doesn't get any ownership yes. of it. Yeah. Um, I went into reading and watching the killing joke, uh, really knowing that this happened already. Um, Derek had really filled me in on this because I think it was, I, I think I needed it, you know, to, to be pr- primed for that. Yeah. I don't think anyone should go into that fully blind and especially any, anyone that has any sort of, um, you know, tendency towards feminism. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like respect for diversity and equality of the sexes, but I think tendency towards feminism says yeah. it better. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I went in knowing that that happened and I knew that it was problematic and I really, I, I wanted to try and, and go in a, a little bit impartial and try and give it a, give it a chance. But, um, yeah, as a, as a woman who, who is a, a writer and who, takes in a lot of pop culture and takes in a lot of uh, uh, storytelling in general, um, mythology, folklore, and modern storytelling. Uh, I have a huge problem with sexual violence on screen, uh, which shouldn't surprise anybody. And I, I'm not saying that it should never, should never be part of a story. It absolutely should. Those stories need to be told of victims of sexual assault. Those stories absolutely need to be told. But there is a sensitivity with which those need to be told. And there is a level of... There's an outside eye that needs to come in. So... Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean... I'd like to hear more about what you mean by the outside eye, if you don't yes. mind. If you yeah. can mind fleshing that out... Because yeah. I'm curious. I think I know where you're going, but I, I just want to hear. I, yeah. I may not. Absolutely. Um, I'll reference Game of Thrones a little bit because this is a, a show that I love, Game just, of Thrones. Just real quick, spoilers. Game of Thrones spoilers. Game of Thrones spoilers. Um, it's a show that I love, and it's a show that has a really hard time handling sexual assault well and handling sexual violence. Um, and it's a show that does it a lot and really is... I'm disappointed that they haven't learned from a lot of their mistakes yet. Um, you know, directors have actually come out and apologized for some of the times that they've portrayed sexual violence. You're, um, you're talking about Jamie and Cersei. Jamie and Season Cersei. four, five, Jamie gets back to King's Landing and rapes Cersei and Joffrey's dead body. Yeah, I think that the, was four. the dead body yeah. of their son. Um, and she's saying, no, 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 and... Jamie's on a redemption arc, and it's like, Jamie's on a redemption arc. You know, no means no. Come on. And Cersei's um, a villain. And Cersei's a villain. And I have tons of problems with the shame walk that she does. And I have tons of problems with Sansa being, you know, taken by Ramsay on their wedding night and the camera being focused on Theon and his pain. And I think there is... Yeah, tell me... So when you said that there needs to be another eye, like, yeah. what, what, what exactly does that mean? So we're seeing more and more uh, what happens when men get in a room and, you know, create female characters and don't have a real frame of reference for, uh, you know, how to make a female character three-dimensional. I think it is a really quick and easy solution for a group of men, men writers to get together and say, okay, we want to create this three-dimensional female character. We want to give her some motivation to really be powerful. Um, let's have her have a past where she sexually assaulted, or let's have her have a past where she, you know, what was pregnant and lost her baby. It's, it's a, it's a cheap and easy route to go when you say, I'm going to use her, uh, use that dehumanizing and horrible moment of, of something that can only happen to a woman uh, to make my character more interesting. And, and this happens without the ad- advisory, you know, eye of a woman. So the other eye that you're saying is have, have more females involved in the writing room. Yes. Yeah. So um, a, a lot of awesome points. Um, I think, can we, oh no, you have another one. Go I ahead. I just Go want ahead. to say one more thing back on the killing joke. Uh, and you touched on it slight, slightly when you introduced this topic is Barbara Gordon, when she is 
presumably raped by the Joker, that action has nothing to do with Barbara Gordon. It only has anything to do with Batman. You know, it is a motivator for Batman to go after the Joker with renewed vigor. And she has no opportunity to claim back her humanity, to claim back her femininity, or to look her uh, her uh, aggressor in the eye. Right. And in there's a scene in the comic where, after this happens, where Batman's in the hospital, they find that Barbara Gordon's paralyzed. And when she's kind of like in and out of consciousness, Batman asks, like, give me the room. And when she comes to a little bit, the first thing she says is, what are they going to do to my dad? You know, and I think it kind of symbolizes that. Yes, that would be something that would be of a concern, right? Like that. Yeah, you would want to know if your father got kidnapped, what's going on. But with all that she had just gone through, I feel like there's no part where she owns what happened, right? Like there's no part where she's just like, I'm paralyzed. I was horribly sexually assaulted. The graphic novel does not make space for the woman's pain and does not make space for the woman's uh, coming to uh, coming to acceptance of that. And I think it's, it's problematic, right? Like, absolutely. You know, like, and you know, the other thing that you have to think about, this is not the average, uh, cop daughter. This is Batgirl. It's Batgirl. She's, she's amazing, right? She can, she jaunts the the mask and the cape and can go out there and hold her own and beat up criminals with her bare hands alongside a Batman so it's kind of a shame that she got punked so easily to begin with. Yeah. Like you would think being trained by Batman, the Joker can't get that much of a jump on you. And if he gets a jump on you, you'd you'd have some measure of fighting back. Right. But it it just doesn't happen. It's like she opens the door, blam, she's shot, and that's that. So yeah, the I, real the real thing that I take away from from the whole Barbara Gordon storyline here. And from a lot of the examples that I gave earlier about Game of Thrones, is you cannot use women's sexual sexual assault to further men's storylines. If you are going to use it, you better damn well use it to uh, inspire those women, and it better be. You know, look at Orange Is the New Black, um, which Ooh, I think I've never and I know you seen haven't an seen episode. it. I definitely recommend it, and I recommend yeah. it to um, to all of our listeners. Season two, there is a really, really expert handling of uh, of sexual violence on television that I, I've never seen anything like it before, and they do a really wonderful job of um, portraying what what it's like for that person and making it about the woman one hundred percent. So I, I yeah, I recommend that wholeheartedly. Yeah, and I I think you're. Like you're, if I'm sitting here, you know, as a grown man in 2017, and I'm writing a story, whether that's designed for a graphic novel, TV, movie, uh, literature, you know, and if I'm doing that, and if you're doing out there, men, you know, maybe maybe have a lady be your editor, right? Like, yeah, you know, like may, like that. That's that's not a bad thing. Maybe invite in someone from at least a different frame of reference. From you get someone very different from you to read through it and be like hey did i muck this up anything did i like and for any part of it whether that's like hey there's a scene where yeah i have the the lead female get raped you know is did i do that in a way that that works is my intention to to minimize females or is my intention to amplify sexual violence like whatever your intention is right vet it yeah like, you don't have to like completely reinvent all of your story. Like if you're not writing a story that's about feminism, that's okay. Not every story should be about feminism, Yeah, but it's not, it's okay to have someone that says, Hey, let me bring this. eye that you may not be considering and say, Hey, based upon this perspective, you did something there that you may not have intended or you may haven't intended, but you know, it, it, it can be construed as very problematic and it can take, a near flawless story like the killing joke and put this big hole, no pun intended because it's about a gunshot. Uh Um, you know, like right in the center of it where you've, you just took 
the only like real female character in it other than Joker's wife who also gets killed. Right. Off screen. Yeah. Off stage. Yeah. So you take that and, you know, so there is, and I think the guy that wrote it, Alan Moore, who I love a lot of his work, kind of has a, 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 a issue with this, at least within Watchmen. You know, sexual yeah. violence is a oh big part of Watchmen. And so you get the sense, and I don't want to psychoanalyze a storyteller based by the writing, but you get the sense that there's something there when it happens frequently, you know? Yeah, there's Almost like Game of Thrones. There's, there's some, I love Game of there's Thrones. There's something going on with George R.R. R. Martin. Like, you got to... Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just this world that he created because it keeps popping up. It happens in the books. It happens in the TV show. Yeah, and I'm so sick of the, well, that's how things were back then kind of thing because this is a fantasy world. Oh, with, with, with Game of Thrones and Westeros. Yeah, it's a I mean, fantasy world. We, yeah, I think we owe, we should, we should, we can dive into Westeros, but that might be a whole other, because oh, yeah. there's so That'll be much. like a four-parter, and just to, ten-parter to let, episode. Anyone that's listening that knows me, anyone that's listening that is just learning to know me now, if there's one thing that I am a just avid fan of, it's Game of Thrones and Song of Ice of Fire. He's got like flags of, of the uh, Targaryens and the Starks in the basement next to his drum kit. Yep. It's it's great. My desktop is has a uh, the, the sword ice and a bunch of the sigils of all of the major houses of Westeros. <laughs> I host a annual Game of Thrones party. I guess you like Game of Thrones. I've huh? brewed a beer to have my own brewed beer to be to drink at the Game of Thrones premiere. I've done that. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Um, so <laughs> let's uh, conclusion here. Yeah. So let's let's wrap this up. Killing Joke is one of the most beautifully written, beautifully drawn, compelling stories. It takes the character Batman and the Joker. To new heights and to new levels, mm-hmm. um, you know it. It leaves a lot there for us to to love and enjoy and celebrate. And I do give it five stars. I think it's excellent. I think, uh, y- you know, uh, barring some like, really problematic elements that we we addressed, I think it is a really excellent piece of art, uh, and I think deserves a little more attention than it gets. It does. Um, I actually read an entire article about making the argument that the graphic novel should be as uh, considered scholastically on the level of serious literature. And they cite The Killing Joke as one of the, the, the books that says, hey, this is a serious art form that needs to be taken with a higher degree of like academic scrutiny than it mm-hmm. has before. And that's what we're doing here at The Midnight Myth. Which I totally agree with. Uh, that being said, the, the, the problem in our current era in 2017 era of storytelling is that you know diversity is a real phenomenon and you know try to be inclusive don't mm-hmm. like if if you have like if 50 percent of the population's female and 50 percent of the population reads your book and 50 percent of them say my god this is horrific and i don't get it well okay you didn't do it right right you know, like that part of the story you could have done better. And that doesn't mean you did a bad job. I gave it five stars. Yeah, it's like, excellent. Like I gave it five stars. Like it, it's amazing. It's my favorite graphic novel of all time. But, you know, be considerate of, of that. And I honestly think if you have, if you vet your stories with a diverse group and whatever that means, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't even tweet without having Laurel read it because I just <laughs> want her her perspective on it, like, hey, this sounded good to me in these 140 characters. Like, you know, what do you think? Just to make sure that I don't say something freaking stupid that'll be taken out of context. Right. Like, I don't know. Before we go to the game, do you think it's intentional when we look at The Killing Joke to, you know, objectify Barbara Gordon to not have her own? Like, do you think like, do you think it's a malicious Thing. We're going to go over on time a little bit here, guys. Sorry about that. But I just, I just had a, uh, I just had a boomerang. If you heard our previous yeah, episode, yeah, that's a real boomerang. Yeah, that's a boomerang there. I, I have a hard time thinking it's intentional. I do think there, especially when it comes to Alan Moore, I think there is something subconsciously there that that really, and it, it's also a product of the time 
you know, it's 1985. I'm not making major excuses for it. Uh, I'm not making any excuses for it, honestly, because I think it's reprehensible. Right. But it's a factor to weigh in, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. Without knowing a whole lot more about the author other than other than the works themselves, it's hard for me to say that it was a malicious act like, oh, I'm going to totally objectify this person for the purposes of my main male character. Uh, but I think it's a subconscious trend that is really dangerous and is really hard to recognize in yourself. Um, now, do you think it's dangerous because it like perpetuates this, like, you know, for like perpetuates rape, like rape culture. Like, is it yeah. dangerous because of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it can legitimately unchecked leads to women yeah. being raped. Super insidious. You know, it's the kind of thing that leads to Brock Turner. Uh, for those of you that don't know Brock Turner, we're not scumbag. We're not, we're not going to fully dive because that's just not this podcast. But the guy raped someone and three months later was out of jail behind a dumpster. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So not 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 cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'd like to think it's not a malicious thing. I'd like to like. But mm-hmm. at, I don't know what's better, though, if you have seeped subconsciously like. Maybe you didn't get the girl you wanted in high school, and so you write comic books. And even though you might be happily married and li- totally believe in the equality of the sexes, somehow that seeps out into your writing unknowingly. Yeah. And and I have to actually bring us back to our first episode when we talked about the uh, melodramatic triangle. And I think this is how this kind of uh, imposes on real life in that... Wait, uh, just in case you didn't r- listen to the first episode... Yeah. The melodramatic triangle is that there is a villain, a victim, and, and a, a hero. hero. And the the villain victimizes the victim, which leads away to the hero to right the injustice. Yeah, and I truly think that almost nobody probably wakes up and says, I'm going to commit atrocities and I'm going to ruin people's lives today. But if you if if your subconscious is is twisted in some kind, I'm not saying Alan Moore is twisted, but if your subconscious is I've rooted actually seen in interviews. some kind of... There's, there's a chance he's twisted. Oh. <laughs> he, he's, he strikes um, me as an odd man. He's probably I, I, I honestly don't know, though. But if you're, if you're rooted in some kind of cultural thing where you actually, you know, you don't see what's wrong with what you did to Barbara Gordon in that comic book, then, like, maybe you think that's not a big deal. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's perspective, and it's, it's as insidious as, as if you had woken up and said, I'm going to set women's rights back three years today. Right. 15 right. years today. Well, I'm sorry for throwing a boomerang at the very end of it's the episode good. and extending it a few minutes. I have one more question for you. Oh, for me? Before we start the another, game. Another boomerang. Do you think Batman kills the Joker? I'm sorry for the silence I had to breathe before I answered that. Um, I think it doesn't matter. I think the Joker's point that I think ultimately, if I'm asked philosophically, can I justify these concepts such as morality, knowledge, reality? Um, and can I really defend them? And you really push me and I really get boxed into a philosophical corner. I'm more aligned with the Joker than Ugh. than anyone. That I, Yeah. Yeah. That I, I can't say that. Any of it has any meaning. I don't know that. Yeah. It seems more like it's a big joke and it's meaningless than it's real. That doesn't mean I condone that. And I think, um, you know, in that story, taking it on, on a micro level, just that story, does the Joker die at the end of it? It doesn't matter. Because yeah. the Joker's right. We could all go mad. Isn't that kind of what's terrifying about the killing joke, really? Why it sticks with you is that he really makes a good point. He really, I mean, he doesn't win in any tactile um, way. He doesn't win in any physical way. He doesn't win in any strategic way. His entire plan goes to crap. At the very end of it, he's just like, go ahead and beat me and get your applause. You know, like, you know, he realizes what, this just it's just a terrible farce it all is yeah and if you are staring at someone that can put on a mask and beat up criminals with impunity but gets to work with the cops 
And if you really think about if that existed in, in, in our society, how infinitely problematic that is and how deeply disturbed Batman is as a character, mm-hmm. the Joker is right. And it doesn't matter if Batman kills him or locks him up in Arkham. Yeah. Because Batman had that bad day too. And he, he just went into a different, equally as disturbing and dark, but different direction. Yeah. I I really think that's why the killing joke strikes a lot of chords with people when you read it is that there's a part of us that really really can't explain any of it, you know, and when you you know, like the blog post that'll go out this week with the with the podcast when you look up at the stars and you see the milky way and you see what you see well, with the, the blog no post, will be out a few weeks before this yeah. post because because yeah. we are we are we are recording these ahead. Yeah, yeah. So heavy, heavy episode, guys. Yeah, heavy, heavy episode. Sorry, guys. And and we we totally ran over the our time, but we didn't well, really want to cut it short. So I apologize for the long longness. Yeah, but hey, we just ended on a really somber note. So let's play a game. Yes, let's play a game and. Let, let, let me end on an optimistic, uh, like bring it back. Let's do optimistically. Fellows out there, ladies out there, don't write your story in a vacuum. Consider how it'll make people feel and ask yourself, is this the way I wanted them to make them feel? If the answer to that is you're not sure, ask someone else to read it. These are ask good. someone who's different from you. Yeah, these are all good things. If you're like, for example, if your main character, one of your main character characters, let's say is Islamic, you know, and you've written this and you're like, man, I'm really happy with this. You know, before I publish it, let me go talk to one of my, you know, Islamic brothers and sisters and be like, hey, read this. What do you think? Before I, sh- you know, publish this for the universe to read. Yeah. Like, what, what do you think? Is this cool? Did I, did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? Did you give me some feedback. That doesn't mean you have to take the feedback. That doesn't mean you scrap the story. But just get it before you do it. No story has ever suffered from too much perspective. Absolutely. All right, break down the game. Let's play a game. All right, so every week on the Midnight Myth Podcast, we play a little game just to lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, usually, we don't tell our tell our answers to each other ahead of time, but on this episode, we only had two possible answers, so we each had to take one possible uh, response. So we're recording this right before the Super Bowl. It'll come out a little bit later, but we're kind of in a football kind of mindset. So I, I, I am. I don't know if Laurel is. Yes, I'm in a I can't wait to make that dip for the Super Bowl mindset. Uh, but we decided, OK, if we were in the Super Bowl and one of our teams had Batman for the quarterback and one of our teams had Joker for the quarterback, which team has the better quarterback? Batman. Joker. Yeah, except here's the problem right? with the Joker. The Joker is an agent of chaos. He's a narcissist. Sports is the ultimate in, I would say, virtuosic activity. An activity for the sake of an activity with no real merit behind it, right? Meaning that football is a game where you just move the ball from one side to the other. Sure. The person that does this, the team, pardon me, that does this the best wins, right? It signifies nothing ultimately in the end. The Joker is not going to be able to hold this together. Whereas Batman, who wants to bring order to chaos, Batman, who is physically in like super, almost superhuman shape. That's true. Batman, who is a strategic and tactical thinker. Batman, who is deeply and fiercely competitive. Batman would go out there and he would quarterback better than anyone had ever quarterbacked. And Batman would look for every competitive advantage that he had to win. I don't think he would fully play by the rules like he doesn't fight crime by due process. So he would use a little gadget. Oh, really? Oh, you think Batman's going to quarterback the Super Bowl and not cheat? (laughs) Everything he does is a cheat. He doesn't follow any of the rules of law ever. That's true. He doesn't care about the rules. He views himself fundamentally above them. He thinks the rules are broken and that's what led to him. So he's making up his own rules. He reminds me of somebody. Don't go there. That's okay. dark. That's dark for this episode. <laughs> it's a dark place. I, I, we just had a little inside moment. 
I believe that Laurel was potentially comparing Batman to a certain Cheeto-faced, mopped-haired uh, person that's in the public eye a lot. What? I would never. Yes, and I just I was instantly not okay with that. But we digress. Uh, there's zero chance the Joker could even quarterback a team, whereas Batman could. There's zero chance that if they were in a game head-to-head, let alone the Super Bowl, <laughs> that Joker is going to out-quarterback Batman. It's just it's impossible. It's not part of his makeup. So with my very limited understanding of football, which I know it's all about moving the, the ball to the other side of the thing and doing the thing, and then there's the halftime show with Lady Gaga, um, I think that the Joker would benefit, the Joker's team would benefit from his unpredictability. Uh, in, in, I'm just going to bring a little football into this, if you do mind. I don't oh mean to God, cut you you're off. You're going to totally break me. But you can't have anything unpredictable. In the, like, it's all about precision, timing, practice, repetition. If the team is on board, then yes. But if the other team cannot in any way kind of predict what plays the, uh, the Joker team is going to make, then the Joker team is going to prevail. Right? I, I see where you're going there. The problem is the Joker is going to get the football in his hand and he's going to be like, you know what would be fun if I covered this on acid before I threw it. And the person right? that catches it, hands would melt. Yeah. And, and he Batman. would laugh. And he would laugh. And it'd be like, and then well, this is over because, you know, we have to arrest the quarterback of Team Joker. There's zero chance the Joker can coach a football team oh or quarterback. It's just, you it totally broke me. My friends, my listeners, my my dear little babies of the Midnight Myth podcast, come to my defense and please smoke this clown and tell him that the Joker would be the best quarterback of all time. You're the crown, the clown prince. So, well, saying. Ooh. I'm just saying. And with that, the game was a not a fair advantage. I had Batman on my side. That puts anyone at a disadvantage. <laughs> I actually watch football. You don't. No, I don't. So I watch baseball. Yeah, which is also baseball is amazing. So I put this game put you at a disadvantage. So I apologize. Mm-hmm. But no, my friends on Twitter are gonna gonna totally vindicate me. Uh, tweet us your responses to this and and give us like a, a quick explanation why at the Midnight Myth. Check us out on Facebook. Just uh, search the Midnight Myth on Facebook. Or uh, drop us a line on www.midnightmyth.com. Check out the blog posts for a little more information about this episode. And, and oh, uh, just a real huge shout out. We got our first iTunes review from Sarah the Legrand. I might have messed that up because I'm mm-hmm. not looking at it. Thank you so much for the review. The feedback really meant a lot. Guys, if you like what you're hearing, please review us on iTunes. We want to hear from you. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you and drop us a line, like I said, on the website. Get in touch with us however you like. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love your feedback. All right, we need to wrap this up because we went way over. But how can you not go over when talking about the Joker Joker and Batman? Come on. Anyway, guys, until next time, be kind. Mm